good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a privilege to gather with you in spirit today. This morning, we are diving into an 11-week series on the book of James. Yes, we do know that James only has five chapters, but this book is so rich. It's so full of truth and wisdom and instruction that we want to take our time. We want to go through it slowly and marinate in it so we can learn the deep truths that God has for us in this book. We are very excited in light of that for what God is going to do over these next few months. So I want to pose a challenge to you right now. And the challenge is this. Don't miss one single week of this series. Don't miss one week of our time together as we study James. It is so encouraging and and inspires us to go so much deeper in our faith that I don't think you're going to want to miss even one week of what God has to say to us through this book, through the words that James has written on the page. And it's to that word, brothers and sisters, the living and inspired word of God, that we come together this morning. And as we gather on our couches, at our kitchen tables, maybe even snuggled in our beds, I want to remind you that we don't gather around the word alone. We don't even gather with maybe the few people in your household that are next to you. Not simply that, we gather with a greater cloud of witnesses throughout time and space who have been feeding off of these precious words of Jesus Christ for centuries. And in the face of this pandemic, we still gather in that one name of Jesus to hear the word of the Lord. So brothers and sisters, this morning I want to invite you into that word with me. Turn to the book of James. We're going to be starting in chapter 1. I hope some of you have had a chance to get familiar with the book of James. Maybe you've read through it once. Um, But during our series, I just want to challenge you to keep reading through and reading through the book of James. I also want to encourage you to visit the website, orchardhill.org. Under our current series, you can see a lot of extra background information on the book of James. And we're going to be doing a Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Zoom, um, more kind of about the book of James. We're going to be digging into it together and and sharing what God is speaking to us. We want you uh, to join in that as well. So, family of God, hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love, from James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes, I am aware that that is possibly the shortest piece of scripture we have ever read together. And don't worry, we're going to be digging into other scripture later on as we go. Uh, But for now, we want to dwell in this first verse in James because it gives us a lot to unpack. You see, in the next 10 weeks, we're going to be studying the meat, what the actual words in the book of James says. But first, It's important for us as God's people to look at the context of why the book of James was written. Who wrote it? Why did they write it? Who did they write it to? What was going on? We know that each book of the Bible was written to a specific audience in a specific context. And for us to apply that most faithfully to our lives today as believers, 
it's best for us to understand the full picture of the context of the book. So that's what we're going to be doing today, dwelling in the context of the book of James. And I promise you it's more exciting and more life-giving than it might sound right off the bat. So in this first verse we've seen, we already immediately, the first word in, we get our first context clue, and that is the who. Who is writing this book to us? Who is it? Yes, it's James. I know we're, I know we're apart, but I still expect the interaction. So please, uh, whether you're alone or with your family, uh, let's have this be a back and forth a little bit today. So yes, James is writing this book. Pretty obvious, you might say. It's in the title, after all. But who is James? Now, if you're like me, you probably think that James is one of the 12 disciples, right? James and his brother John, uh, the sons of Zebedee that spent uh, the three years of Jesus' ministry on earth with him. But it's not. And that's why this context is so important for us to understand. This is not James, the brother of John, one of the disciples. Because we know, based on the timeline when this book was written, that James the disciple had already been killed for his faith. So this can't be that James. Instead, it is widely accepted that the author of the book of James is actually James, the brother of Jesus. I wonder if that strikes you as odd. Because if you look at the testimony of the Gospels alone, it probably would strike you as odd. What do we know about Jesus' relationship with his brothers from the Gospels? Yeah, it's not a very good relationship, is it? They weren't exactly a supportive family towards Jesus, and they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. But I want us to turn to Scripture to get a better look at that. Um, so if you would, turn with me to John 5, starting in verse 1. We're going to be all over the Word today. Um, and if you can't keep up, that's okay. But I will always tell you what scripture we're going to be looking at. So if you want to jot it down so you can go back to it later, feel free to do that. So today we are going to be looking at John 7 verses 1 through 5 um, for a little bit of the context of James' relationship uh, with his brother Jesus. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Even his own brothers did not believe in him. Jesus' brothers know that the people in Judea are waiting to kill Jesus. And still they say, if you're that great, why don't you go to Judea? They encourage him to go to the place where people are waiting to take his life. And what's more, their words show that James and his brothers don't understand Jesus. They think he's seeking after becoming a public figure. We know that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus isn't seeking... Um, undeserved fame or uh, some kind of a false name for himself. He's come to save the world and to share that good news with them. And so we see here already James and Jesus' relationship is strained. It's not a great relationship. And we see that more um, in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 3, 
verses 20 and 21 show us again the strain in this relationship. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Not only did James's brothers, or I'm sorry, did Jesus's brothers, James being one of them, not believe in Jesus, they literally thought he was crazy. They tried to take hold of him, almost institutionalize him, probably at their house in a way because they thought Jesus was out of his mind. 30 years, about 30 years James had with Jesus. And this is still where their relationship was. This is the author of the book of James. How can this be, you might ask? It's what I was wondering too. How could James, the brother of Jesus, that we see so much disregard towards Jesus and the claims of of being the Messiah and the fruit of his life towards, how can this non-believer James become the author of this book in the New Testament? Well, we know how that can be. I want to invite you again. I told you we'd be in scripture a lot. I want to invite with you to turn with me um, to 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 7 to get a glimpse of what happened to Jesus or to James. How did he go from being this, this brother who rejected Jesus to being the author of, of James who in chapter 2 verse 1 calls him our glorious Lord? And the truth is right here in 1 Corinthians 15 starting in verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, What I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And then if you jump down to verse 7, it says, Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. How did James, the brother of Jesus, go from mocking and rejecting Jesus to writing this book? He had seen the risen Lord. He had come face to face with Jesus after his resurrection. Friends, if if a man is going to claim to have been dead and have come back to life, who better to know the reality that lay within that claim than a sibling. You know your brothers and sisters. You know them. Spiritual brothers and sisters, yes, but siblings that we were raised with, that we grew up in houses together, I know my siblings, and I would know if one of my siblings had died and had been resurrected, if that was them. Think about that from James's point of view. James saw the risen Jesus. Jesus himself, after rising, appeared to his brother, Friends, this book is proof of the power of the gospel. It's proof of the power of the risen Christ. It can take a non-believer and a mocker, and when you come face to face with that risen Lord, you have nothing for it but to change. This gives us hope, brothers and sisters. This is the same James um, who, in Acts, after Peter is miraculously released from prison, Uh, Peter goes back to this group of disciples who are waiting to to bring him into their home, and he says, make sure you tell James. 
And this is the same James who, in the book of Galatians, Paul calls one of the pillars of the church. This is what God can do to the heart of an unbeliever when they come face to face with the power of the resurrected Christ. Maybe you can relate to this, brothers and sisters. In one way or another, maybe you have put your faith in Jesus. And like Jesus' brothers did not believe, your family does not believe. Maybe they even mock you for putting your faith in someone who died nearly 2,000 years ago. You cling to Jesus as Messiah, Savior, and King, and yet they mock you. And they think you're crazy, just like Jesus' family thought he was crazy. Or maybe in a different way you can relate because you have a James in your life. You have someone you love dearly. Maybe it's a a physical blood relative, a brother or a sister like it was for Jesus. Or maybe it's a mother, a father, a co-worker, a child, a spouse, a best friend. I don't know who it might be for you, but I'm guessing many of us have James in our lives. People we love and long to have come to faith in Jesus Christ, but instead they are mocking, they are doubting and they are disbelieving. Or maybe, friend, you are James. (laughs) You have, have seen Jesus, maybe had some encounters with him. Maybe you've heard the gospel sometime or two, but you still can't put your faith in Jesus. Whatever the situation may be for you, Friends, take heart today because this book is living proof that no one is beyond the reach of the power of the risen Christ. If James can go from an enemy and a mocker of Jesus to one of the pillars of the church, a shepherd reaching out to his sheep in the writing of this book, there is no one too far for Jesus to save. Take heart and have faith in that today. So we have learned who our author is. We've gotten that context clue figured out. Um, Let's now ask the question of who our author is writing to. And in order to do that, we're going to go back to that first chapter of James again. We'll be there a lot today. So James 1, verse 1. You're going to get sick of hearing this, maybe. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So, who is James writing to? Twelve tribes. Specifically, God's people. The language here, twelve tribes, kind of gives us a clue. This is a Jewish way to describe God's people, right? The twelve tribes were the people of Israel. Um, So when James is addressing his audience, his readers as the twelve tribes, we know these aren't just God's people who are Christians, but they're Jewish believers who have put their faith in Jesus. So James is specifically writing to a Jewish crowd. There are other clues in here of that. Um, some of the words that Jesus or that James uses, one of the words he calls Jesus is a very Hebrew name for Jesus. Um, the fact that there's no references to any Gentile believers in this text, all of these give us clues to the fact that James is writing specifically to the Jews who have put their faith in Jesus. 
It's because of those clues, too, uh, that many scholars believe that James was the first book of the New Testament that was written. So we know our who, our author is James, and we know to whom he was writing, to the Jewish believers. Let's go a little bit deeper one more time with this verse and ask why. What is the context? Why is James writing? What's going on around this time that would spur him to write this book? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So, the tribes have been what? Scattered. They are scattered among the nations. The Jewish believers have been scattered through Jerusalem and Judea and to other nations. But why? What's going on that would have scattered God's people from Jerusalem so far? Well, it's believed that these scattered believers that James is writing to is actually the early believers from the Jerusalem church that scattered after persecution broke out, starting with the stoning of Stephen. So turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to get a glimpse of when this persecution breaks out, what scripture has to say. Acts 8, verse 1 says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. So we see Saul, yes, the very same man who would later describe James as a pillar of the church under the name Paul. Saul is going around and helping to kill and round up and throw Christians in jail. We see this, uh, he was present at the killing and the stoning of Stephen for his faith. And, and he starts to wreak havoc on the church in Jerusalem. So the believers are scattered. They run. They go, to they go to Judea. They go to Samaria. And we hear that they go all over. But this shouldn't have been a surprise. Friends, God works in such wonderful ways, and he has made promises to his people that we need to take to heart. This shouldn't have been a surprise for the believers because of Jesus' last words to his disciples. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, in Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus said this to his disciples. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This scattering due to persecution is actually the beginning of the fulfillment of Jesus' words here. These faithful believers may be scattered around the world, but they don't cease to be united as the body of Christ. What Satan meant for evil in their persecution, God ends up using for good because the persecuted church is not a defeated church. And we see that evidenced here because what happens when the persecuted church scatters is that they bring the good news and the gospel with them wherever they go and they shout it from the mountaintops. These believers that have been removed from their communities and removed from their homes have not been removed from the faithful promises of Jesus, and they are declaring them left and right, and the Lord is winning souls to his kingdom because of their testimony. No, this persecuted church, 
ends up growing the church. Instead of shrinking, the church is flourishing under persecution. We see the fulfillment, the beginnings of it, of Jesus' words from Acts here. So James is writing to these Jewish believers who are being persecuted and scattered. He's writing as a shepherd, reaching out and tending to his sheep. This is a beautiful letter that we get here in James. So now we have our author, we have our audience, and we have the context of what's going on in this time, why James is reaching out. Which leaves one last thing, the what. What is James telling us? What was James telling the original hearers in his book? What was he saying to them? Well, honestly, brothers and sisters, the meat of the book of James is pretty simple. James writes to persecuted and scattered brothers and sisters to encourage them, even in the midst of their persecution, to live out the faith to which they have been called. Not to just be hearers of the word, as we'll hear him say later, but to also be doers of the word. Not to just live with a professed faith, but a faith that bears the fruit of good deeds. A faith that's not just a concept in our head, but put in our hearts that produces action. In short, James is calling us to actually demonstrate, to actually live out our faith in such a way um, that it demonstrates the good news that we profess. To not just talk about it, but to let our actions reflect the reality of what we believe. Pretty simple, right? In truth, it is. Living out faithfully what we profess is really a simple notion, although it's very difficult. Unfortunately, we are, even us who have been redeemed by Jesus, still struggle with our brokenness and still live in the midst of a broken world. And so to do this simple thing, to faithfully live the faith we profess, can actually be very difficult for us. I'm blown away personally when I, when I read the accounts from Acts and I see the way that, that James and, and Peter and Paul and the other disciples were living out their faith in the face of persecution. These brothers and sisters were being hunted and killed, beaten, tortured on a regular basis for their faith, and yet they flourished in the face of this persecution. And that blows me away, brothers and sisters, because if I'm honest with you, when I look at my own life, I often find it difficult to live faithfully, even in the relative comfort and ease, if I'm being honest, that my life exists in. But these brothers and sisters lived it out faithfully in the midst of such suffering. And not just these brothers and sisters, but we know there are hundreds, thousands, perhaps millions of Christians around the world today that are also living their faith out living faithfully in accordance with what they profess they believe for the sake of Jesus Christ and are being persecuted because of it right now. That is a miracle. And when I think of how much I struggle sometimes 
to live faithfully on a day-in, day-out basis in my comfortable life, I am discouraged with the fact that I struggle with that. And if I'm being honest with you, I want to tell you where that brings me. It brings me to my knees in prayer. I often find myself falling on my knees before the Lord and asking him to strengthen me to live out this glorious faith that we profess in a way that honors him. And while I'm there, he reminds me, it's not by my actions, my good deeds, my righteousness, or anything I have done that has saved me, but it's by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that spurs me on even when it's difficult for me to keep seeking, to keep driving hard after the Lord, to strengthen me to live out this faith that I profess in a faithful way. Brothers and sisters, the things we're going to be talking about for the next 10 weeks in the book of James, the things that James is going to show us, describe a faithful Christian, are going to challenge us. They just are. But we don't need to be discouraged. <laughs> Because just like James experienced, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, we have the power of the risen Jesus. We have his Holy Spirit living inside of us. So when we seek to put our faith into action, when we seek to be good representatives of Jesus Christ by living out what we profess with our mouths in our lives, when we put that faith into action, we don't have to do that on our own. We can do it with the strength that God provides. So when you struggle, brothers and sisters, don't feel guilty. Don't get angry. Instead, let that struggle bring you to your knees in prayer. The next time you struggle, my encouragement to you isn't for you to say to yourself, I have to try harder next time, or I need to get better at this. Absolutely try harder. Absolutely continue to seek to do better. But if that is all you do alone, if you just simply try harder on your own, I promise you, you're going to fail. The next time you wrestle with these truths, the next time you wrestle to live out the faith that you profess well, fall to your knees and ask the Lord for strength. We have seen that the risen Jesus, his power can give us what we need to overcome any any difficulty we're facing, any persecution, any temptation, any fear, any selfishness that we might still wrestle with, the power of Jesus Christ can get us through that. So ask him for more of that power. That is a prayer he wants to answer for you. And ask him while you're on your knees. Make the bold prayer that he would help you love him more. Because it is our love for Jesus and our desire to serve him that spurs us on to live out our faith, not just in word, but also in deed. It is our love for Jesus that spurs us on to roll up our sleeves, to put on our work gloves, and to do the good works which James tell us are born from an expression of true faith. Brothers and sisters, it is not up to us to be perfect, but as we seek to faithfully live out our call, to put our faith into action. It is God's strength that will help us to do that well. So brothers and sisters, 
as you go out into a new week. May you go with the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. May you go to faithfully proclaim the good news. And may what you profess to believe be put into action every day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, friends, and we'll see you next week.